You can see my award-winning climate comedy show spoilers at a festival near you, provided you live near or are going to McHuncliffe or Wells Comedy Festivals. More dates added soon near you, conceivably, who knows what might happen. And if you are at Mac, come and see ComCom Redacted live at 4pm on the Saturday. Go to stuartgoldsmith.com and click the very attractive banner image to find out more. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. This is a podcast from ComediansComedian.com. This is the Comedian's Comedian Podcast. Hello and welcome to the show. I'm Stuart Goldsmith. And before we enjoy this live recording with Ramesh Ranganathan, uh, recorded live at Soho Theatre just last week, uh, there is just time for me to tell you that I myself will be taking my tour show an hour to the Soho Theatre on the 21st, 22nd and 23rd of April. Uh, that's coming up very, very soon. That's in the next couple of weeks. And if you fancy coming along, then please do. I am proud to uh, present a small discount code for you. If you've not already heard about it, you can enter if you book your tickets online at SohoTheatre.com. You can enter the code FAF, F-A-F-F, in order to receive a 25% discount. And I tell you what's really exciting. that uh, we, had to, we had a boo, hooray story. Uh, do you remember those from school? Boo, hooray. Um, so the boo was that we got accidentally, the show was missed off the, the Soho Theatre brochure through no one's fault. It was just one, sort of one of those things. Um, and so that's like, oh, God, I haven't been in the brochure for the last two months. Holy shit. But at the same time, the hooray element is that sales have been really good despite that. So if you're hoping to come on the Thursday, get in quick because that one's selling great guns. The Friday's doing well. The Saturday, a little bit quieter. I think that's often the case. And although we're expecting lots of walk up uh, on account of it being in the heart of London's glittering London, um, then if you would like to come along and support that show and I'd love to see you there, then you can enter the discount code FAF to come and see my show an hour at Soho Theatre, which recently was called a masterclass in stand-up in a review from a thing in Bath, which was either called Bath Theatre or Theatre Matters, or unlikely to be Bath Matters, I would have thought. Could be, as in matters which concern people in Bath. Something like that. A masterclass in stand-up. Apparently, that's my thing. So a five-star review along the tour. Um, Come along and see it at Soho Theatre. And before you do, perhaps while you open your your smartphone browser or similar web device to book those tickets, as you do that, you can listen to the absolutely wonderful, very funny, very lovely Ramesh Ranganathan. Thanks for coming, Ron. Thanks for having me. Very excited. Excellent. <laughs> Let's start with the very first thing. Now, we've, we've, we've had to sort of... We had interesting conversations backstage and repeatedly had to say... Oh, he's such a prick, isn't he? <laughs> anyway, but we can't tell you who we're talking about. Oh, what a wanker. No, I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> oh, shit. No, no he is a prick. Oh, he no, is he is a prick. So let's start then with your the very first thing you said when you came on stage. You said, "Great to be here," and everyone laughed. This is the Ramesh Ranganathan stock in trade 
being professionally unimpressed with things. <laughs> it's, I mean, I didn't realise until I saw Asian Provocateur how much I wanted to watch you wander around paradise being <laughs> unimpressed with it. <laughs> Let's talk about that, that thing that you bring to the stage, more so than a, a great many other comedians, which is a combination of sort of... It's sort of authorial disappointment. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I don't, um, it's not a, it's not a thing that, um, I'm consciously doing. I think it's just, uh, it's just how I am, I guess. I, I, I suppose, you know, cause sort of some people have said to me, you are, you're such a grumpy bastard like on stage is that that can't be real. How, uh, horrible you are. Not horrible, but like sort of. How made you are finally fucking on part show, Jesus Christ! I'm, Thank you so much. I'm drying up. I don't know if you heard this answer. It's dog shit. But um, uh, <laughs> but um, but basically, um, I don't think it is. Thank you very much. I don't think it is. I think that um, it's just how I genuinely feel. I sort of uh, I don't really get excited by much, I suppose, and so. Uh, I sort of feign excitement in social situations because you're supposed to, aren't you? If somebody tells you something, you have to, I'm... you have to look impressed or, or happy about it. But I, I don't necessarily, uh, you don't have to do that on stage. You can just sort of be whatever you want and, and it's fine, I guess, isn't it? Except for not funny. People don't go for that. But apart from that, you can be whatever you want. But you would probably agree that, uh, sorry to blow the gaff here, backstage five minutes ago, you were a little bit more chipper than this. So there is an extent to which you're putting on your public face. Uh, well, I, ma- <laughs> that's a very good question, Stu. I, I, uh, maybe, maybe. I don't know. I haven't thought about it, to be honest with you. Okay. I, I don't, I don't uh, for example, I'm not about to go on stage and think, right, time to get cunty. Do you know what I mean? I, I, just, I just sort of... Uh, I come Potential on... show title <laughs> for the next tour. <laughs> hey, guys, time to get cunty, yeah. Um, no, it's just, I guess it's just how I feel comfortable on stage, I guess. That's... that's uh, that, yeah, that is it. That is it. That so, is it. I've stumbled across the answer. Okay. So the, the other thing that you have on stage, I think, is you have tremendous authority. You really look like you not just own the space, but I noticed on some of you, I was watching a lot of your YouTube videos, clips of TV and stuff. Thank you. Thank you. There's a lot of stuff available. Check it out. Even, well, something you should definitely check out after you've enjoyed the video, look down and see that even the negative comments kind of respect you. <laughs> Like, almost no one is calling you a wanker. People like, I'm trying to remember exactly Mate, what you said. Mate, you haven't seen my Twitter feed. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. But there's some, someone like, in fact, it was the comments section under an, an article in The Guardian that, uh, that was about the TV show, it was about uh, Asian Provocateur, uh, for which you have been recently baffed and nominated. Many congratulations. Thank you very much. Thank you. I, I threw that to the audience and 50% of them were impressed. Yeah, so yeah, it's yeah. nice to see. Not heard of BAFTA. <laughs> <laughs> but there is... There, there was a comment underneath it whereby, like, I had to look ten comments down to find anything remotely negative. And that is, even... by the way, that's terrifying that you're looking at those comments, by the way. That's... Yeah, well, it's important for me to know what insane people on the internet right, think yeah. about you. But they even... Someone said something negative. They said, yeah, he thinks he's clever. And then they said, I mean, he may be clever, but I'm just not getting it. And I thought, <laughs> that's the most respectful slam that I've ever seen of anyone. And I did wonder... Now, listen, I've got to try and uh, quote this. this is, we're we're going to do a listener question very early on. This okay. is from Robin Hughes. 
Mr. Ranganathan oh, was Christ. previously my head of sixth form. <laughs> you can tell him that I thought his assemblies were rubbish, but now I realise he was finding his voice. <laughs> now, obviously, I'm partly reading I mean, that. first, that's not even a fucking question, mate. <laughs> that's just... <laughs> Just... I'm, par- I'm partly reading that for comedy value because I was so thrilled that someone had gone, I'm someone from his old life. But also, I, d- I did wonder whether the authority with which you carry yourself on stage was something that you learnt and, and or developed in the classroom when you were a teacher. Uh, I think that there are, I think there's definitely transferable skills. You know, I think that, um, you know, you are trying to keep a group of people's attention for the duration that you're speaking when you're teaching and that's the same for stand-up so there are transferable skills I definitely think that and and you know I was ahead of six so you were doing this I was doing assemblies every week to like 200 200 plus students so and they were you know well I think Robin's been a bit harsh there but but they they, they were whatever they were and you've got to um you've got to all right is Robin in what the fuck? <laughs> um but I think that I don't think what I would say is how I was in the classroom is nothing like uh how I am on stage now. I wasn't, you know, um, no, I wasn't like that. You sort of, it's difficult, isn't it? Because like when you were teach when I was teaching, I was a maths teacher and I deliberately I really wanted to be a maths teacher because I had a really bad maths teacher um at school and I developed a negative relationship with the subject as a result purely of how that teacher was. And so I wanted to be the opposite of that. And, and then you're all often delivering stuff to people that don't want to hear it. You know, adding fractions with different denominators. That's not getting year nines excited. Do you know what I mean? So you have to find a way of delivering that in an interesting way. Okay. And, uh, and so, yeah, I, 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 I do think you're sort of looking at ways of engaging people. Yeah. I just know that if I were to ever try being a teacher, I'm sure I'd be just squished on day one because I'd have gone in going, hi guys, I want you all to like me. This is going to be great fun. Whereas you do not have a percentage of that in your body. No, 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 no. And I certainly didn't, I don't think I had that as a teacher that I wanted the students to like me particularly. Um, I think that, uh, what's different about when I'm doing stand up to when I was teaching is I think a really important thing as a teacher is the students have to feel like you like them and you want them to do well if you have that understanding then they will accept anything from you you know if a teacher starts having a go at somebody about something and they don't believe that you have their best interests at heart that's when you start to have problems but if you're if a kid really believes that you are invested in them succeeding they will take any comments or criticism that you've got for them because they believe it comes from a good place. Whereas when I'm doing stand-up, I certainly don't think I give the audience any impression that I like them. You know, I, 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 I do think that's, that's probably the major difference. That's interesting because there is, whilst you're being either whatever that, that quality is, what we, I mean, is it disappointment? Is it frustration? What, how do you think of it? How do you think that the note is that you're most comfortable playing? Um, I think it's, I guess it's, I guess it's cynicism, sort of, I guess, about everything, you know, and, uh, and that's not a deliberate thing. I didn't think I'm gonna go and be a cynical comic or anything like that. It's not a manufactured thing. It's not something that I, it's not happened by design or anything like that. It's just how, you know, I, I wasn't how I am now on stage when I first started. When you first start, you're just dicking around, desperately hoping that people don't throw shit, you know, so it's, it's a different thing. And, and, and I went through various, 
phases, but none of those phases were deliberate. I never thought, I'm going to try it this way now, I'm going to try it that way. I just went into gigs, and my main aim was to make people laugh, and then eventually you start to hone in on or zone in on uh, what you're most comfortable with. And actually, I think a lot of people have said this on your podcast, but what ends up being what you hone in on is very close to who you are actually off stage. But actually, it's very difficult to get to that point, to get to a point you're comfortable enough to be close to who you actually are on stage, I think takes a long time. So do you remember when you first started? What was the first room that you ever played? It was Pontin's Holiday Camp, and I was nine. So so what happened was there was a, a talent competition. Okay. And um, I entered that talent competition as a stand-up. And uh, was there any uh, parental pressure on you to do this? No, no, no. Uh, no. I just sort of it's something I wanted to do. I sort of always loved comedy. Who were you listening to when you were nine? What kind of comics were you? To? Uh, I I can't remember actually. I remember watching a lot of Lenny Henry on TV and stuff like that. But I don't know what my impressions of stand-up were at that stage. I don't think I really knew. Uh, but I, and also, I didn't do it. But I have to admit, I didn't do any of my own material. I had a book, uh, three thousand and one jokes, and did I you take the book on with you? No, I didn't. I I, I gave. Broke. I had enough dignity to <laughs> memorise the stuff. Uh, and now, ladies and gentlemen, the dignified nine-year-old. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then um, I did that gig. Um, I delivered it in, in in entirely Sri Lankan accent for the whole act. I just thought, I thought I need an angle. Do you know what I mean this? Uh, and uh, I thought I need something that's going to separate myself from all these nine-year-olds that are doing stand-up. What, <laughs> what can I do? And so, uh, so yeah, I did it in entirely in a Sri Lankan accent, and uh, I won. But the other kids, they weren't bringing a lot to the table. I think there was somebody that was playing a kazoo. Somebody else did a dance. It was shit. So, so it wasn't a massive triumph. So when you did, when you first did. A stand-up gig, like yeah. a, a, you as yourself as a grown yes. adult doing stand-up. Yeah. Um, what were the? What was the first moment that when you talk about zoning in on particular things? Do you remember yeah. the the, the flavour of the first thing that you went? Oh, hang on, that laugh was a bit richer. Yes, I think that one of the things that I found very early on, I think, was that everything that I was doing that was closest to what I actually thought and was actually based in truth was working a lot more than anything I'd sort of manufactured for the purposes of, you know, when you're starting out, you haven't got the luxury of picking and choosing best bits. You just come up with stuff and hope to God that it works. Do you know what I mean? And so you don't, you, you can't be choosy. You haven't got the skills or the or the, the the breadth of material or the experience to do that. So what was finding was there was some stuff that I just thought, oh, this would be a funny thing to say. And then there was other stuff that was actually based in stuff that happened or an opinion that I actually had. And very quickly, I found that the stuff that was closest to what I actually thought or what I actually had actually happened to me, that was the stuff that was working more. So So very quickly, I sort of became more based in stuff that had really happened. Do you feel that happened to you sooner than it happens to most comics? If we're sort of in the in the region of finding one's voice. Yeah. Do you feel like you you fairly quickly went this this is it. It's just me. And was that I mean I imagine there would be a certain amount of oh well this, this might be easier than I thought. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh no, I don't I, I don't I mean it's very difficult. I don't know when other comics feel that they found it. And, and, and to be honest, I don't, 
I don't genuinely think I'm as good as I'm going to be. You know, I, I don't, I still don't know that I am the comic that I'm going to be going forward. Do you know what I mean? I, I still, I still, to be honest, I still think I'm quite shit. You know, that, that's the honest truth of it. And, um, and you know, I remember a few months into doing gigs, my wife actually, um, said to me, I don't know if you, really should be doing it because not because she'd come to a gig and was like fucking hell mate <laughs> but but what what had happened was what had happened was is I'd, I'd I'd been doing I was teaching I was doing gigs in the evening and I really go into a dark and I still do and I haven't been able to get rid of this is if it doesn't go well I just go into a really dark space and like really get really sort of down on myself and and really it's difficult uh i find it really difficult to deal with it even still now and uh and i remember coming home from a gig and you know i'd work the next day and i sat on the end of the bed just head in my hands and my wife was like what's going on and i said i was just shit they didn't go for this and i'm so shit at this i'm so shit at this and she said i don't know that you should be aspiring to do something that makes you feel like this so regularly do you know what i mean like you know Surely the whole idea of taking a risk and doing something is for something that makes you happy. You look fucking miserable. Like, you look more miserable than normal. Do you know what I mean? Like, I don't know that this is what you should be doing. And, and that was... And I do think that um, I did... Even though I, I think that... I think that early, the early on point was me realising that stuff that was close to what I thought was funnier, or certainly was funnier for me, I don't think I found my... What I, how I was going to be any quicker than anyone else. I did gig a lot. Like shitloads. Like probably, I think that's one thing. I did gig more than other people I knew that were starting around at the same time as me. I did. I get, I gigged a lot. Like probably too much. You know, like in terms of for maintaining my effectiveness as a teacher. I probably, I probably did. I probably is there, did. Is there a year of a school in? Is it Horsham you were teaching in? Crawley. Crawley. Crawley, Crawley. Yeah. Was is there like a year that the, the lost generation? Because <laughs> you were really working on your skills at that point. There were times when lessons were being planned on the stairs on the way up to the class. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna lie. Um, and it got to the point where the school actually had a word of me about it. Um, because, not because of what I was doing in the, in the classroom necessarily, because I think that if you are okay at teaching, you can be good in the classroom still. But it was all the other stuff, you know, like all the paperwork and all of that shit that I just didn't, um, I wasn't keeping on top of. And so yeah, there was a time when I was doing loads of comedy. And still a full-time teacher that I really, and also I've got young children, you know, got young children as well that I really start to think you cannot continue in the long term like this. It's impossible. It's not sustainable. Just to, on the subject of your kids, I've got another listener question from comedian Rob Beckett. Um, <laughs> what was that prick one? <laughs> <laughs> he said, uh, we, this, I don't know if you phrased it as a question. We were talking around it. I saw him at the weekend and he said, you've got to ask Ron. I said, what, what, what would you want to ask him? Uh, and he said he's got three kids under five, and he hasn't got a day off till 2017. <laughs> How the fuck is he doing it? I think what I think I've set the bar so low for my parenting skills when I am at home <laughs> that my that my wife doesn't feel it that much of a. Is that like yeah. doing the washing up and deliberately breaking? Yeah, 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 yeah. Sort of like the, ki the kids are actually getting worse the more quality time <laughs> you're spending with them. But do you, I mean you must have an incredibly supportive wife? Yes, I do. I do, and uh, you know, I. Uh, she's yeah. I've got. I've got to be honest. Without sort of getting too sort of uh, wanky about it, you, you can do that here because let's face it, you're never going to appreciate her on stage. Yeah, true, true. <laughs> um, no, she's been she's been absolutely amazing, and I don't think I can't think of a there isn't been a single time when she's said 
can you not go and do that gig? Or, or you know, I mean, fucking, I know, she was, she gave birth during the Edinburgh Festival when I was there doing a show. I mean, that Two is, stars. yeah, yeah, and. Uh, <laughs> That was very good, man. I've got, I, I wanted to get angry, but I thought, fuck me, smash that. That was, um, uh, um, yeah, so my wife has been amazing. Yeah, she's been really, she's been really amazing about it. And, uh, it's hard when you first, uh, when you, the, the difficulty, I think the difficulty about it is, is when you first, when I first left teaching to just do stand up, times were, like we were struggling, you know, times were tough, you know, we were struggling to make ends meet. And, you know, it, I think if my wife at that point, when it was difficult, had turned around to me and said, I want you to stop doing this, I would have done in a heartbeat because obviously family comes first, but she didn't. Um, and also the other thing that you do feel very guilty because it's not like I didn't have a job and then I tried, tried, tried to do stand-up comedy. I had a job and it was a, it was a really uh, reliable job and, uh, um, and I was getting paid all right money at. And then I've gone... I'm going to put everything at risk for this little vanity project. Do you know what I mean? And so you do feel, I did feel guilty. Um, and, but my wife never, she's just very supportive and I'm very grateful to her for it. As a new dad myself, I'm yeah. just starting, we we're talking about it a little bit in the dressing room. I'm just starting to get into, oh yeah, I could, I could, I could feel really guilty about this, about the amount of time away. Yeah. And the touring. And you're yeah. on tour at the minute doing 120 dates. Something like that. Yeah. And, yeah. Are any of those, how are you, are you trying to plan family time within the tour? Are you planning breaks so that you can be there? Yes. Um, and I think that, uh, that what you do is, uh, you, um, when I am at home, we are doing proper like family stuff. So it's not just I'm at home and we're slobbing around the house. We'll go and do proper stuff and we'll spend proper time together and we'll actively use that time. And you sort of, uh, you try and basically, because your time is limited, more limited than it otherwise might have been, you basically try and make that as good as it possibly can be. So this is Rom. We had a blinder of a time and we'll get back into this as soon as we can. Um, lots of great stuff from Romish. And I'm, I'm becoming, I'm becoming hypersensitive now to the, you know, five years into the podcast, 160 something episodes. Um, people are starting, people, you, you are starting to point out to me little, uh, little repetitive, what are they called? Little, was well, not quite an idiom, uh, catchphrases, let's say, little buzzwords, catchphrases that I don't even know I'm doing. And, uh, someone on Twitter pointed out that I frequently say, yeah, I was just going to ask you about that. <laughs> now I can't, can't listen back to any episodes in case I hear myself saying that. I don't know what that is. It's presumably me. I mean, I'm sure there's a there's a sensible real world reason for me to say that, which is to sort of uh, loop into a, a question or to sort of take a comment that my guest has said and then hopefully take it and sort of gently segue into an existing topic, even if they've already brought it up. But at the same time, it's more likely probably just me going, um, uh, yeah, yeah, I'd already thought of that, actually. <laughs> so well spotted. Um, I, I guess we should... I'd like to think of something. I've, I've nearly sold all the T-shirts and the next run of ComCom T-shirts in future. Not, I mean, maybe in time for anybody, who knows. 
I, what I'd like to do is rather than say com com pod on them, I'd like to be just a little bit more inventive and uh, come up with a com com catchphrase. The obvious one is faff. Just some some sort of device that I could then get someone, perhaps one of you, to design in a special kind of way. What I'd like is that when people uh, see each other wearing the T-shirt, we will get it. We insiders will know that that's the T-shirt, but it doesn't give the game away as to what it is. So a shibboleth, if you will, a little... And I only know that word from watching The West Wing. Um, back to Ron shortly, I had... To, oh, there was a listener, I think Richard Hughes. Let me just double-check that name, Richard Hughes. He sent me a, a very generous recurring subscription payment. It's, you know, it's not a, a subscription per se. It's called a subscription, but it's basically a recurring donation. And lots of people are doing that now. Um, however, Richard included a message with his um, that I couldn't reply to. It was a very nice message, and uh, for some reason the email address he'd attached uh, didn't work, so I couldn't reply to it. I think he's on the Facebook group, but equally, I've messaged... I mean, this is very administrative now, but if you are Richard Hughes, thank you. And I thought it worth pointing out anyway, um, because it, I just wanted to say thank you for those of you who are setting up recurring payments. I try and thank everyone personally by email, but um, as well as the donations that people are making to this show for £10, £20 or whatever you'd spend on a bottle of wine, which you can do at comedianscomedian.com, you receive no wine, just a feeling of smug self-satisfaction and wholesomeness. Um, but uh, as well as doing that, or instead of doing that, you can also set up a recurring donation um, or you can buy one of the few remaining T-shirts. So few of them left, so few. So that is that business. You can email me info at comedianscomedian.com. Let's push this. I, I've only just really got my head round the, the star rating at iTunes. I mention it every so often. And without wanting to bang you over the head with it, I should mention it more often because it's all about visibility, isn't it? So if you're enjoying the show, scuttle along, please, to iTunes. Um, if you're an iTunes listener. Uh, or an iTunes user, and just give us a nice review. Give us a nice, honest review. I read them every six months while drunk. And um, uh, if you are able to give me a nice little five-star one, then that makes me a little bit more visible, keeps me on the, the new and noteworthy page or the Editor's Choice page or what have you. And that just means that more people discover the show, which is great for everyone, particularly me. So if you can't afford to uh, support the show financially, perhaps you consider doing that, or indeed sharing your favourite episode with a friend, or just swiping their device from them, grab it, and uh, subscribe to the show on their podcast app, even if you have to download it first. A little tour update. It's been going so great. Thanks to everyone in Leicester. Um, thank you to everyone that came to the bicycle shop in Norwich. And apologies there. I didn't realise that there was no disability access. So I'm afraid some fans weren't able to get into that. And uh, I will rectify that on the next tour. Um, but what a beautiful venue. I mean, it's such a nice place. And Norwich is like this secretly cool place whereby they're happy for people to think it's boring. So the pricks don't turn up from out of town. But Norwich is way cooler than you'd expect. Um, Tom Clutterbuck runs a gig there in Norwich uh, at a venue called The Birdcage. It's called Altered Feast Cabaret, and the next one is on Thursday the 21st with Matthew Crosby headlining. Uh, but Tom is a good guy, brought lots of people to the show. I know him from the circuit, and he is now making a go of Norwich. Potential show title. So uh, uh, please support that Altered Beasts Cabaret. Um, and... That's all for now. I'll chat to you afterwards. I've got a bit of recording at the end of the show that I, I promised you uh, when I finished recording that set that I did for Russell Howard's Stand Up Central. I came off and did a little five-minute recording into my phone, so that will be the waffle uh, for today after the conclusion of the podcast. Do get tickets for the Soho Show if you'd like to support it on April the 21st, 22nd and 23rd, which is coming up very soon. Remember, the discount code FAF gets you 25% off at SohoTheatre.com. I bloody love this show. It would be so, so exciting. It's selling well. It really is. I'm, it's not one of those ones where I'm like, guys, please come. 
but we're into the safe, you know, I've been watching the tour reports going, oh, we're in the red, we're in the orange. Oh, actually, we're in the green now. It would be so great to absolutely smash it and sell it out. That'd be really good fun. And then, of course, uh, the tour concludes at the Secret Welsh Festival in just a couple of weeks, uh, which is now very, very nearly sold out. We're only a few tickets off that. So if you did miss out, you can come and see my work in progress show, uh, which is entitled This Is Actually My Sixth Rodeo. Uh, that is now the work in progress title. The actual show has a different title to that for any minutes here. But come and see. This is actually my sixth radio at the uh, Secret Welsh Festival um, I, at a time and place that you will, that are also secret, e.g. they are not immediately to hand. Now back to Ramesh Ranganathan. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Talking about the, the writing, and we were talking about your persona, let's go back to that because I want to look at when you said the, the difference between who you were when you started yeah. and who you are now and who you might then get to be. Yeah. Looking back at your the two Apollo clips, that are one from the end of last year, one from the year before, yeah. I noticed already on the second one, you move more slowly right. on stage, in a good way. Not, I'm not suggesting right, you're okay, dying. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> what I mean, do you know what I mean? I felt like you, from that first one, it was like, I felt like, God, it must have been longer ago than 2014. Because yeah. you, you looked, with, with how you behave on stage now in yeah. mind, you look kind of pretty green. You were, you yes. I mean, that must have been like, was that your biggest gig at the time when you did that first? Oh, Apollo easily, show? fucking easily, man. Like it was, um, it was insane. It was like, I was really, really, it was head and shoulders above anything else I've been offered to do. So like, probably what you're seeing there is somebody shitting themselves, but trying to look like they're not. Jimmy, you know I, mean? I, I think that's probably what it was. Whereas when I did the second one, uh, and you were hosting in the second yes, one. Yes. Uh, yeah. Um, yes, I was. Um, but on the, no, on the, se- on the second one, I sort of, I guess, one, you've done it before. Do you know what I mean? And, uh, so you know what to expect. Um, and also I just sort of, I guess I felt more, you feel more comfortable. And so, you know, when you're brand new, you're jittery and you're sort of grabby for laughs and, uh, you know, getting a laugh feels like 
it it feels like you're running across some barren territory and you're getting enemy fire. And whenever you hit a punchline, that's a bit of cover. Do you know what I mean? And when you're new, you're trying to get to those bits of cover as quickly as possible. Whereas I think as you get more experienced, you know those bits of cover are coming. Do you know what I mean? This is this analogy working? I'm, but, but, <laughs> but, but you know, I'm, I'm really keen for you to run yeah, with it and see yeah. if you can bring it home. But um, and so you're you're more relaxed in the way that you move through yeah. that. Yeah. Jesus Christ. No. That was good. I thought you were going to be like, but I gradually started wearing a bulletproof jacket. You never do that. Oh, what an arsehole that would be. I discovered I'm fucking bulletproof. (laughs) Whenever anyone says something like that, that's the bit I'll be advertising the show with on Twitter. Three second clip. So in the, so in the writing, what does it look like when you write? Are you someone that sits down in a methodical way and goes, right, office time, I'm writing? What, is, what does it look like when you're writing? Uh, are you, and are you writing new stuff at the moment with the tour going on and the family? Are you still turning... I mean, presumably you're turning stuff over because you've got TV gigs, you've got specialist things you need to write. Um, I I, uh, I will continue to turn over stuff as the tour goes on and, and I'll move it into the tour. And um, I think that, you know, when you're, when you're touring for that amount of time, um, you have to keep it sort of... A, I feel like I have to keep it fresh so that I'm interested in what I'm saying, you know. Because so you're turning over stuff on stage in the tour. It's not just a show that you're repeating. Well, no, when I'm not doing the tour, like, for example, I went to Up the, up the Creek and tried out new stuff, and then the stuff that works from that will make its way into the tour show, or okay. occasionally I'll drop stuff into the, the tour that I feel is... I, what I won't do is just, like, do long stretches of stuff that I'm not sure... I would never write something... Well, I might do, but I, I very rarely... Well, I'll write something that day and then throw it straight into the tour show. I want to be, I want to know that it's good enough because people are paid to come and see you. So I think you sort of, you want to make sure the show is really good. So that's why I did Up the Creek, for example. I do that, try the stuff out, and then there's stuff. But you're, but you're trying the stuff out. So once the stuff works, if you do it up the creek a couple of times, yeah. those kind of environments, yeah. it gets put in, what I'm sort of interested in is it gets, it gets put into the current tour yes. rather than saved for the next tour. Yes. So does yeah. that mean that the next tour will begin with this or similar stuff to how the, the current tour ends? Because it's not like this is show one and that's no, show two. No, no. But I don't, I won't take anything that I'm doing here into the next tour. No, I'll, I'll have a sufficient enough break. And I'll start from scratch with like blank page and start working. And what is for, for between now and the next 120 plus date tour, what do you think is a sufficient enough break that you can put together? I mean, are you doing two hours or two fifties? I'm doing at the moment, I'm sort of doing about 70, 75. And then it's sort of every so often it's as the tour goes on, it gets longer and longer basically. Okay. And what, how, how long do you, are you anticipating it taking to put together from scratch the next show? Uh, I don't know. To be sorry to you. sorry to frighten you with the idea. Yeah, yeah, you realise you're going to have to do it again, <laughs> yeah, don't yeah. you? Um, I don't know. Is the honest answer to that? I sort of when I did Edinburgh in the last time I did Edinburgh, it's 2014. Um, I I did my first show the year before, and then I thought I'm going to get straight on with the next Edinburgh show, and I started like working on it in sort of September, October, pretty much as soon as I got got back from Edinburgh. And I got these bits that I thought were really working. And I was like, oh, Jesus Christ, Rom, you're ahead of the game. And then I chilled out. And then in May, I was in exactly the same position. <laughs> and, and, and I thought, oh, shit, mate, you've uh, you've become complacent. Uh, and then I started working out. I, I, I don't I don't know. It's It's if I've got a completely blank canvas, it will basically how it works is... I will maybe one day go, right, I'm going to write 10 minutes today. I'm going to try and come up with a 10-minute routine. 
And then that night I'll go to a club and try it out and see how much works. And it's very, one of the things I'm, one of the things I cannot predict to this day is how much of that stuff will work. So I might go and do 10 minutes and go, holy shit, like seven, seven minutes of that is good to go. Not good to go, but it's got legs. But the next week I'll go with stuff that I'm more confident about going into it. And I'll come back and go, well, you can keep hello. I'm Ramesh Ranganathan. But apart from that, <laughs> apart from that, mate, you've got nothing from that. You know? Do you, do you have those moments when you're writing that you stumble upon something and you just think, Absolutely, 100% confident that's going to work. Yes, uh, I do. Uh, I do. Like sometimes uh, you'll have an idea about something and straight away you think, I'd be very surprised if that isn't a goer. And, uh, and yeah, and, and you go and do it. And it's it still needs, you know, polishing and stuff. But the actual idea is there. Other times I will have an idea and you try the idea out. The problem I've got is that I don't, it sounds mental, but I don't write punchlines like in when I'm coming up with the new stuff. I will find something interesting. So, for example, I had uh, I had uh, a, a, a situation where I couldn't come up. I just was struggling to write stuff. I was just thinking, shit, man, I can't come up with anything. And I was talking to, do you know Bobby Mayer? Yeah. So yeah, Bobby yeah. Mayer said to me, Ramesh, you're, you're thinking about it too much. Just go and live your life and, and something will come to you. So I did. I stopped. I, 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 don't, know if, I don't know if you know Bobby Mayer. That was an incredible Bobby Mayer. And uh, you can check that out by downloading Bobby's album. currently. <laughs> so I did that. I went, I just stopped thinking about it too much. And then I watched uh, Blackfish. I just had, just, uh, just was sat down watching it. And, and then straight away I thought, oh, this is, this is something that I could, that I've got something that I want to say something about. And so I sat down and I thought, what do I want to say about this? But it wasn't jokes. It was like points. Yeah. And then I went out that night and tried it out. And the, the, the good thing about that is you will start to, you're free and you're coming up with stuff. The bad side of that is there might not be a punchline in that whole thing. And then you leave with that room of people thinking that you are proper shit. But I, I think that's part of the risk, you know. Are, are you in a place now, profile-wise, where in the last, I feel like you've, just over the last couple of years, 18 months, has just been explosive for you since appearing on Jonathan Ross. I think that was the moment when I, and I'm sure a lot of other people went, oh, fucking hell, what? Well done. Do you know what I mean? Because yeah. you just kind of, it's like a hop, skip and a jump. Oh, suddenly now you're you're kind of not someone that's trying to get on stuff. You're like an asset. Yeah. And people are going... Yeah, well, well, it doesn't feel like that, but yeah. But Does it not? No, I don't think so. I think it's... BAFTA nominated. Uh, <laughs> I mean, yeah, you've heard of BAFTA, yeah? <laughs> uh, um, no. Um, but it, I would imagine it's about to start feeling like that. I don't know. I don't know. Okay. I, so, I, I think I, I could, I'd still, I, I still, I don't feel much different okay. to, to, to before. So my, the question is, when you, presumably you're now in a place that when you walk on stage to do some new material, yeah. there's a bit of a reaction. Um, I think, uh, like in, t in terms of just for anyone, and I, I know you know what I mean, but for yeah. anyone listening who might not, that when, so we go, a bit of a treat for you now, it's Ramesh Ranganathan, there's enough people in the audience going, it's that guy I've seen be funny on TV. Yeah. That then that affects the, their reaction to you or the ride that they give you when you're trying yeah, to Yeah, I, I, I guess like if people know who you are and then they think, oh shit, I wonder what the bit's going to be. But I think that buys you a minute or two. And then if it's really crap, then they settle down to, thinking i wonder how i'm going to construct this tweet about how this guy's shit now <laughs> like, like, so so i do think that although your initial response is good i think that 
the stuff still has to be good. I, I, I remember watching, um, I remember watching Michael Mackin, I did the, the, the Brighton comedy gala, like the opening thing for the festival. And Michael McIntyre was a surprise guest and everyone went nuts and he was trying out stuff for, for tour, for the tour. And he just waited until that had all died down and then started doing his stuff. And I thought it was very interesting. You know, he could have, what he could have done actually was ride that the whole way through his 10, 15 minutes and go, boom, thank, thank you so much. And then, and then leave, right? <laughs> but, but, but How what, were your assemblies crap when your impressions? <laughs> but but what what he did was he let that settle because what he wanted to do was just really see how this stuff goes. Do you know what I mean? So I thought it was interesting. So when you're when you're writing, are you writing at a laptop on a? Are you writing in your head in your car when you're walking around? What what is? Uh, I will. I'm I'm pretty good at. I will decide that I'm going to sit down and write, and then I've got like a notebook. I've got so many notebooks, and I just open a notebook and go, right, what do I think about this? And then generally what happens is is I will – so I'll have some ideas, and I'll go on stage with the piece of paper with the, with the ideas or the notebook or whatever, try it all out, record it, and then listen to it sometimes – and then work out from that what bits I think have got legs and which bits haven't, and then I'll make a note somewhere else of the bits that worked. Okay. And then every now and again, when I'm really desperate, I'll go back to the original. Okay. Yeah, but when I'm really desperate, I'll go back to the original. Again. There must be something else, like, please. Yeah, sure. um, but there often isn't. So can you give us an example of the, the most recent bit you've been working on that you've sat down and written on or that you've walked out and said, okay, this isn't, there's no punchline on it, but here's the idea? Um... Yes, uh, yeah, I, yes, can I? Yes, um, I, uh, I started, uh, I had this bit, this bit I've been working on about, uh, religion and, uh, how I think it actually might be logical to be religious because the, the potential payoff is so incredible, you know, okay. uh, and so actually, why wouldn't you just do a bit of praying, you know, because, <laughs> Because it's eternal salvation, like what an incredible, what an incredible lottery ticket. So, so that was the idea. Yeah. Uh, and then, so that's the initial idea. And then, I and, that, and just, that, that idea, just to go right back to the beginning of that, that idea is like a fell into your head idea, or watching a program about religion, or musing, mulling it over somewhere. Because uh, that's that's quite a good. That's like a fully formed premise to begin with, isn't it? Yes, I guess what I thought was is that I think, I can't tell you that this is definitely it, but I probably, this I've got a vague recollection of seeing a post on Facebook about atheism and it pissing me off. And so I thought I'd quite like to say the opposite to that. And so then that's what the starting okay. point was. So, I am, that, that sort of sound, that I think that's probably what happened, almost definitely. So then you take that idea on stage. Yeah. And they laugh at that idea as, they, as people did here. Yeah. So then are you taking that off and trying to sit down and write and pull further ideas out of it now you know you've got something? Yes. So, 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 so sometimes you, you come on with that idea and uh, what, will happen, what happens to me a lot of the time is they will laugh at the initial idea, maybe, and then what I then go on to say is extremely disappointing. So, so, so then, so then what happens is, is then you know that the initial idea has something in it, but you just haven't done it properly. Do you know what I mean? But you sort of go, well, okay, so there is possibly something in that, but I just haven't found it. <laughs> like, so, okay. so then I'll go back and work on it. But sometimes I'll present an idea and they'll go, no, nah, mate. 
And so then there will be no further development on that, and I will try and forget. There are some things that I've said that are so shit that I've actually thought maybe I shouldn't be allowed to continue doing comedy. You, you know, but I, I, but I think that you have to allow yourself to continue doing that. Do you know what I mean? That, I totally agree with you. I really struggle with that myself. Yeah. And if you are someone who, like me, has moments of thinking, oh, Christ, like real, like you were saying before, the real dark moments of yeah. that you still have to this day, yes, you said, yeah. even despite all of the logic, well, you know, let's, let's look at the actual material facts of how well you're doing. Yeah. How does that, how does that aspect of your life sit with trying new stuff, finding it disappointing? Do you know what I mean? What, how, how do you stay positive about that? When, what, what, with what strategies are you coping with the darker times? Um, the, the, I think str- struggling with the darker times, there's sort of two things that you're sort of asking there, I guess, is struggling with the darker times, I just have to, I've just had to accept that it's something that I'm going to feel, I guess. Do you know what I mean? You sort of think. And these, these are creative ones or? With other no, it'd just be like, say, life. for example, uh, well, I guess everything, but like, you know, in terms of, of comedy, um, you sort of like think, you go through phases of thinking that you're really shit at it. And I go through a lot of phases of that. It's, it's, a lot of my time is spent me thinking I'm not very good at it. And, but, but when you think, oh, that is how I'm going to feel. Even though it still feels crap, you still just sort of deal with it. In terms of, but what that does actually, bizarrely, is it helps the other thing. Because if you think you're shit, then you're massively desperate to get better. And so, so then you are trying out stuff. Then if it goes bad, you go, fuck, that was crap, but I've got to keep going at this because you are shit, mate, and you've got to stop being shit. And so that sort of actually bizarrely kind of fuels it. There's uh, an article I read in The Guardian that I think was promo for Edinburgh a couple of years ago, uh, where it's you and Sean Walsh interviewing each other as each other. Yeah. Great, I don't know if it's a series of them, but I've really no, enjoyed reading one, yeah. it. And uh, so it's quite clear, or I've, I feel like it's clear reading it, that you know each other well, mm. and you're using that as an opportunity to really stab each other's weak yeah. spots. Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Very, very worth reading. <laughs> and... Uh, I noticed that one of the, the ways in which Sean attacks you yes. is he says he describes your material appearing cleverer than everyone thinks it is. <laughs> is that is that a fear of yours that he was picking up on, or is that a sort of a random attack? Uh, no, I think it's a no. I, I think that the I think he I think I'm thick. You know, like I, I, I have this ongoing sort of. Uh, I guess I don't think I'm that, I don't think I'm that intelligent is the honest truth. You know, I don't think I'm massively intelligent. And so the concern is that sometimes you think, have I really got the uh, chops to talk about this? You know, for example, religion is a big topic. It's a big thing and it's very personal to, to, to people. And so it feels like maybe it's a bit, you know, th- there'll be part of me that thinks it, it's maybe a bit arrogant of you to think that you can pontificate about this on stage. But, but that as a comic, you have to get over that yes. arrogance. So well, it's kind of embrace it and go, I'm going to do it. Yeah, do it. But, but I would drop it if it's not funny. So it has to be funny. I don't think, you know, if it's funny, then I'll go with it. But if it's not, then it's got to go. I don't think that I am, I don't think we've got any right to, an ex- to express an opinion on stage unless it's funny. Uh, you know, I don't. I just think if I express an opinion and it gets a laugh or that my, my, my exploration of that, of that opinion 
gets laughs, then it's then I'm justified in saying it. But if it doesn't, if I'm if I think oh, it's really important to talk about religion, I'm pissed off about militant atheism, and I start talking about it, but it's not getting a laugh, then I'm never going to say it again. You know, I just don't. So with that in mind, when you went on Question Time, yeah, how did you feel? How what state were you in going in? What state were you in going into that environment whereby you are there with professional arguers who are yes. all rightly or wrongly consider themselves informed and have a lot of opinions <clears throat> rightly or wrongly which they think back up their stance? Yeah. And you're going into that. And you, I mean, we've all seen comics do well on Question Time and I guess we've all seen comics appear out of their depth. Yeah. What were you, did you have a similar thing in mind of like, as long as I can be funny, then I'm worth being there? Or was it more important to you to say what you wanted to say? I think I think question time is a is a different it's a different beast you know you know, you know I'm not there to sell tour tickets I, I can't imagine it must be such a hard gig because you're being introduced as and now the comedian yeah but if you just do gags what's the point of the business? well I, I think that um, the the thing about doing something like question time is if you're not funny people will say how's this guy a comedian yeah. and if you are funny people will go why is he trivialising the issues so it's a very difficult one to play as a comic the truth is is that when i first got asked to do it i was concerned that about exactly you know the concerns that you've explained that you know maybe i'd be out of my depth I had a chat with them and and i sort of i do read the papers you know like so i didn't feel like it was i didn't feel like it was i was going into something that that was that i was going to be like holy shit they've mentioned something i've got you know th there's always that slight fear but I held opinions on everything that's going on at the moment in the country. So I sort of thought, well, let's just do that and, and see how it goes. And it might go really horribly wrong and it might not. But I guess let's So you were it. fairly sanguine going into it. You weren't thinking. Yeah, I think that, I think that I, uh, knew, trusted myself to say exactly what I thought and stand or fall by whatever that might be. Do you know what I mean? And given that your material isn't overtly political, yeah. although you say you're not on there to sell tour tickets, yeah. it does was an appearance on there... Did they ask you or did your people ask them? No, like, was that asked. part of a, a strategy? No, no, fuck no, no, no. It was... Uh, this guy's going to get nominated for a BAFTA. <laughs> yeah, Let's yeah. make sure he's got some tough political... Uh, yeah, no, no, no. It's not part of any, not part of any strategy. It was just... They they have this thing, don't know, where they invite like non politicians on, and I was one of and, you know many people get asked, and many people turn it down, and um, uh, because they don't because you know because of the things you talked about, or because they just don't want to talk about politics or express their views on on television, and I and I got asked to do it, and I thought the truth of it is, you want to know the honest truth of it is, it wasn't part of a plan. I just thought it'd be quite a cool thing to do, you know, it's exciting be on question time i watch question time a lot i'm gonna be on it it's a risky thing but what a cool thing to do i just thought that's it there was no it was not part of any master plan i can't imagine anyone thought holy shit well i has got an opinion on the junior doctors i wonder what he's like talking for 75 minutes you know what I, mean? like, I, I, <laughs> yeah. I can't i didn't go into there thinking that was going to happen you you have a joke that i think was in the, the more recent apollo appearance about being treated as a the punchline is i'm a bloody representative Yes. You're talking about the fact that, you know, you feel quite a lot. I don't want to butcher the bit. Yeah. I will. Um, you, you're talking about, um, the fact that as an Asian man, in, as a British Asian man, if you bump into someone, then you could, you know, your opinions, you're such a git that you could push them over the edge if they were considering racism. Yes. Yeah. 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 It's, 
such a, such a muscular bit that I can do it badly and still get a great laugh. So, so well done. Um, so is there an extent to which you do feel like you're being asked to be a representative or now that your profile is high and getting higher that you are going to people are going to come to you for their their idea of what it is you do um no i don't i don't ever think of myself as a representative i mean that that bit that you talk about uh comes from a thing where i just thought it's just that people make judgments basically my dad ran a pub right um and he ran a pub in quite a white village and he was like the only, it was, it was weird having a brown guy live there and it was also weird having a brown guy that's the landlord of the local pub, right? And what would happen is, is that I noticed that people were, for, people in that pub that had very few interactions with ethnic minorities were basically forming a, a dossier on what they thought about ethnic minorities based on purely on their interactions with us, right? And, 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 and I just thought it was quite an interesting thing that that just doesn't happen to, to, to white people, you know, like in this country anyway, right? Is that if I met seven white guys in a row that were massive bellends, I would still not go, white people are bellends, aren't they? But I, I think that if, if people in that pub had thought that my dad, me and my brother were dicks, I could imagine them going, well, Sri Lankans are tossers. I could tell you that. Yeah. From, I could tell you that from personal experience. Everyone that I've met, has been dog shit. There you go. Do you know what I mean? So I just thought that's, but in terms of being a representative, um, no, I don't consider myself to be representative. I, I, I do think that, you know, when I did Asian Provocateur, um, I didn't think of myself as a representative, but I did think that that was a show that was exploring an experience that lots of people have in this country. And so I thought maybe it will be interesting, but I certainly didn't go into it thinking I'm now the representative for second generation you know, immigrants or whatever, you know, I just thought I'm just going and doing this thing that, you know. Do you ever have a concern when people are laughing at your impression of your mum's accent? Yeah. Are you ever concerned that some of them are laughing in a different way to how other people are laughing at it? Uh... No. Uh, I I want to credit a listener. I was thinking about these these terms, but specifically there's a listener called Matthew Cook who said he saw you in Scunthorpe. Yeah. And he he felt that some of the, and I don't know, I guess he's white, who knows. Yeah. Um, He said that he thought some of the crowd were just laughing at a funny, like the but-but-ding-ding funny accent and the head wobble. That when you do that bit of material that it's kind of like... Uh, If you haven't seen me, that is not the whole act, (laughs) by the way. I don't... uh, I I, I, used to think... You know, you've... but it is by no means the whole act, but it is a huge laugh in yeah. the act, and it is framed as I mean, the, the premise of the bit is some people are so elderly in this country, you can forgive them a bit of racism. Yeah, you know, I almost could throw in a head wobble, which you then do throw in a head wobble, and yeah. woof is enormous laugh. Has that ever given you cause to to think about how that bit is is being received? Uh, no, no. Um, I think that, I do think that is a genuine, I do think it's a valid point that, um, is it Matthew that Matthew's making? Is it Matthew? Yeah. Um, I do think he's got a valid point, you know, maybe he did feel like that, I don't know. Um, well, he did feel like that, he said he felt like that. But, um, <laughs> but what I, what I think is, is that I will do it if I feel justified that the, that the, the, the joke isn't purely me doing the act, the actual, you know, I, I'm making a point 
And yes, that is a bit of a garnish to it, but I'm doing that to illustrate the point. And maybe I'm wrong in that. You know, I'm not saying I'm infallible, but that's how I feel. I wouldn't ever do it just for the hell of it. I would do it if I, I know, certainly if you're an ethnic minority comedian, there is that question of how much do you talk about your race and your act? You know, people, you will always get criticized, I think, for either not, you know, not referencing it at all or referencing it too much. And, um, that's always a concern. But my personal rule has always been if I think the idea is strong enough and I think the joke is good enough, then I will do it. I would, I would, don't think I would do it gratuitously, but I'm fully prepared to accept that that might be the case. You know, I did have a bit, I had a bit in my first show where I talked about, being in a barber shop and this guy assuming that I was an immigrant, right? He sort of, um, I'd said something about it being hot and he said, oh, bloody hell, you lot, you come over here and then you complain about how hot it was. And then I sort of respond to him. And I remember at some gigs, people were laughing at what that guy was saying to me. And then I thought, oh, shit, like, mm-hmm. they agree with him. Do you, do, do you know what I mean? And so I remember being like thinking, holy shit, but I can't be held responsible for how everybody's responding to that. All I can be responsible for is my justification for doing it. And if I feel happy enough in the reasons that I'm doing it, then I'll continue. Uh, ben Mumford says, what's it like being a chubby vegan? That's rude. We're not having that. Never mind. Fucking hell, um, mate. <laughs> I wanted to... Uh, we... we we're nearing, <laughs> we're nearing the time when we must wrap up. I knew it would be worth doing that. You loved um, it. Look I at loved his, it. Look at his face. I what loved a it. prick, man. I would never have done it. I, was, yeah. I, I met Ed Gamble earlier on today, and I said, look, I've got these questions, and he said, you've got to do that. So <laughs> I, I said, I said, Paul, talk to me about, um, about fearlessness on stage, because you are, you used to be a rapper, as is a matter of public record. Yeah. Ranger the Lazy-Eyed Assassin. Yes. Fucking great name. Thank I you. like to think I'd have bought that if Thank I saw you. that in a Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sold a few copies in Horsham. <laughs> and your rap battle on the, uh, I can't remember what the name of the thing, I think it's just called Comedy Rap Battles, when you and uh, oh, Donnelly, Comedians Rap Battles with Donnelly, Comedians yeah. Rap Battles, when yeah. you, which was so much fun to see. Uh, there's a lot of these things, you can find them on YouTube, I forget the name of the production company, but if you search Comedian Rap Battles, you find them. Um, you versus Carl Donnelly, he goes first, and as, as 99% of comedians who do it is reading from a list of pre-prepared quasi-rhyming put-downs. Yeah. And then you're like, you stand there in your hoodie with your bag, with your, uh, uh, your, your man bag. Yeah. And, and genuinely freestyling? Yes. Yes, I was. But, um, what I would say is, and it's, if, if, when you watch it, if you do go to watch it, you will see this quite clearly, is that what Carl was doing, was actually good. You know, he had put some thought into it. And what I did was talk about his mum. And, 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 and so. It, it rhymed. Yeah, it, it did rhymed. rhyme. But actually, quality wise, I would argue that what Carl did was a lot better. But what I did was try and play to the audience. And if you're talking about someone's mum, how can you lose? But you know, that's. You were improvising about someone's Yes, I was. You, yeah, hadn't yeah. Re- you hadn't pre-written that? No, no. So as someone who can freestyle, I'm in awe of that. In the same way as I suppose, uh, the, the civilians, uh, are, can be a bit in awe of comedians. Like, oh my God, how could you do that? I think a lot of comedians go, fucking rap battling. Holy yeah, shit. But that, but, you know, that wasn't, you know, it's not proper freestyling what we're doing. We're doing like, 
a gag and that, you know, it's not like there was a beat running and like, it's not like properly like eight mile. It's two pricks having a go at it. Do you know what I mean? It's like, so it wasn't, I wouldn't say that means I can freestyle. It was just sort of in the moment, you know, it's not, there's not a beat running. You're doing an acapella. There's a crowd. It's not, I don't think it's the same. But I think, sure. But I think that's because you're calibrated for knowing how actually scary actual freestyle would be. It is. Whereas to, as far as everyone else is concerned, you're in that kind of different place of, oh yeah, I'll just, you know, I'll just, I'll just throw together a freestyle rap where I'm not going to flop and I'm not going to die on my ass. I'm going to. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe. I I, I just, I'm just interested in that, that aspect of comedy, which is about fearlessness. And I, I sort of, I think in many ways, your, your kind of comedy genetic makeup as ex teacher, ex rapper, it's sort of, it's quite easy to imagine you going into something like Question Time going, yeah, I'll try this. In a way that I think a lot of comedians would go, I'm really not sure. Yeah, no, but the truth is I wasn't sure, you know, and, um, I wasn't sure about Question Time just because, uh, I'm not, you know, I don't think that, you know, I don't think I'm massively qualified to do it, but I think it, within the remit of being a non-politician, I feel that I've got enough opinions on stuff that it'd probably be okay. But that's not to say that I wasn't shitting myself before I went on. You know, um, there's always the fear that somebody will mention or sort of go, and uh, I'd just like to ask about the Malawi Agreement of 1979 and how that pertains to the current taxation policy in Ghana. And then David Nimble would go, Ramesh. And then... Uh, <laughs> like, there's... <laughs> do you, there's it, always that fear, do you know what I mean? But... Do you feel that he was? Do you feel that Dibbleby was kind of part of his job as host must be don't make the comedian look like a bad booking? Uh, maybe. I think, I think obviously they, they will, they didn't explicitly say this to me, but it's what they're doing is they're looking after you a bit more than they would do the, the politicians. It's not your job to, to be informed and eloquent and come up with the figures for anything that comes up in the moment. That's not my job to do that, you know. Um, and so I think that, yeah, I think that, that, that they look after you. Do you know what I mean? They, they, they're, they're great. For, they, they're very, they express their gratitude very openly for you coming on and doing the show and they look after you and they made what was, a, you know, a very nerve wracking experience, you know, quite a pleasant one. So one more thing on writing, which is that do you, do you recognize certain tropes in your own writing? Do you ever find yourself like the, you're, you know, you're, you've written several hours now. Um, of material also equivalent on tour shows, if not hours, hours. Um, do you find yourself ever, do you ever look at a bit and go, I'm doing that thing that I do again? Yeah, I think, I think you, yes, I do. I, I do. I do. You do find that because you've got the same attitude sure. to everything. And is that a problem though? I mean, I released the Jimmy Carr episode today, yeah. part one of that. And I put that to him and he said, Oh yeah, you're all the time. Don't worry about it. Do you know what I mean? That you kind yeah. of like, yeah, you're turning over a, a thousand attempts at a joke a year. Yeah. It's going to happen. But yeah. I think with someone that's not like an explicitly one-liner person, it might be more problematic if you go. Yeah, I think so. I think, I think that happens a little bit with sort of, uh, your attitude towards something. You might think, well, that's the same sort of thing as I've said before. But the, the other thing I find, the biggest problem I find actually is that I talk about a topic and then the next year, I think of a lot of better things I could have said about that topic and then think, shit, I wish 
I hadn't dealt with that topic last time and I tried to do it this time because you sort of get better, don't you? I Hopefully you get better as you go on. Well, in the way that Jim Jeffries goes, okay, every show is going to have 20 minutes on religion. Yeah, yeah, Because yeah. he's always got another 20 minutes yeah, of things yeah, yeah. to say about so, religion. So sometimes I think that um, I worry about that, but I think that uh, I think that you can worry about those things too much. I think you can overthink it. I think you just you trust in yourself that it's good and you keep pushing yourself and, and then hopefully everything else takes care of itself. Probably time for one quick audience question. When you left school, did you feel confident that you wanted to be a comedian at the time? No, I, I, I didn't. Uh, that Pontins uh, gig was... <laughs> who, who books that, by the way? <laughs> <laughs> that Pontins gig was just a one-off thing. I didn't think I must at some point build up on the momentum from from that. But but I, I left... To be honest with you, man, I, I left school... Uh, Without, I didn't, wasn't even considering doing stand up as a, as a career because I just didn't think you could, I just didn't think it was within the realms of possibility. And even when I started doing stand up as a teacher, um, I still didn't think I was definitely going to do it for a, I still just didn't, I just thought it was so difficult to be doing this as a job. Um, that it hadn't occurred to me until later on. And then I thought, oh, maybe I could do it as a job, but it wasn't like, I wasn't, I didn't always have this comedian thing on the back burner thing. I'm going to go to that career eventually. That wasn't, no, it wasn't part of a grand plan or anything. Curveball, you look great in purple and you're always wearing purple. Have you seen a stylist? Uh, no, uh, no, I haven't. But I'll tell you what did happen, right? This is, this is, this is, I'm glad you've mentioned, well, I'm not glad because it's quite an embarrassing story. But what happened was is when I was doing, um, when I was doing, I think it must have been like my, yeah, first Edinburgh solo show, um, my, uh, I went and got some photos done. And, uh, my, I, I went to see my agent after. She, they, they, she'd been sent the photos, my agent at the time, and she said, uh, these photos are unusable because of what you're wearing is so terrible. Right? So, so, and, and I looked through the photos and I was like, yeah, I, I look like shit. And it was a really horrible journey home because I was wearing like a, I had, <laughs> <laughs> you looked like you were looking to see if anyone else was wearing it. <laughs> I had this sort of like what I, I just basically had chosen the wrong shit, like, like for that photo shoot. And it happened to be that I'd taken a lot of terrible outfits. And so there was a series of photos where I looked shit in one thing and then I changed into something else and I looked shit in that. So it's variations of shit, 50 shades of shit. So, so then I went home and I was really a bit gutted about it. And I said to my wife, you know, my agent said to me that my clothes are like shit. And she goes, yeah. And I said, what, is this a thing? She goes, yeah, like, you never dress well. And, and then I thought, oh, fuck. So, <laughs> so then I, then I said to my wife, help me. Help me, help me wear some clothes that do not render a photo shoot unusable. And, <laughs> and she did. <laughs> when you were working as a teacher, did you try out any of your material on your students? Uh, is, sorry, go on, I'll let you answer. No, go on, what you're going to say? Well, I was going to say, I don't imagine that you did, but are there any, like, is there almost like a, like a one-liner or some sort of a thing that you've carried with you from then or a particular technique? Uh, it, it, but perhaps, you, you know, yeah, I bits. didn't, I didn't, um, no, I didn't. The answer, the, the answer, the short answer is no, I didn't try any stuff, but I did do, I did, I, occasionally I did things that were inappropriate. Just wait till I finish. <laughs> And that's all we got time for, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. <laughs>
basically, it's not, it's not a very funny, it's not, the, I don't think this story is very funny, but it is an example of me misjudging a situation. So we had, every so often we had, uh, uh, we had an assembly where one of the forms, the, the, the registration groups would deliver the assembly. So they plan something and do it. So it was Valentine's Day. And so they did, um, <laughs> they did an assembly about Valentine's Day, right? And had all sorts of figures about, uh, how the, the, the amount of contraception that gets brought around Valentine's Day increases. And then they were talking about other bits and pieces. And then I, and then I had to finish the assembly, like give any notices and stuff. And just, I thought it was funny. I said, I think it's interesting sequencing that they talked about the contraception sales immediately before talking about people buying Valentine's stuff for their pets. Because I, 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 and I just said it as a funny thing that happened in the moment. And then when I looked across the hall, like the six formers were laughing, but one of my colleagues was going, <laughs> and like I sort of, <laughs> I sort of, I sort of realised that I shouldn't have done that. Do you, do you know what I mean? So there's, you know, that's sort of a, a thing where you sort of look. I guess you're looking for a funny. But the, the problem I had was that um, when I first started, I had, uh, you know, I was doing open mic gigs and I started to run a gig. My dad said to me because I was complaining about not having enough stage time. He said, just run a gig at the pub and you can host it. It's an easy way of getting stage time. So I started putting on this gig at my dad's pub and students would turn up. And, and I remember some of the gigs, it would just be six formers and it'd be like an assembly, but bluer. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, it was like, it was mad. It was really mad. Ladies and gentlemen, please thank Mr. Romis Ranganathan. <laughs> So many thanks to Romish, thanks to JQ who came along to uh, take some pictures as well, which I've got some lovely pictures I'll whack up on the website. Um, thank you to everyone at Soho Theatre. That was the last one in this particular run. I hope we come back. And given that that show was sold out, I'm, I'm confident we'll go back. It's, it's just such a lovely venue and such a, a hub of exciting uh, international and homegrown stand-up comedy, stuff from all over the world, and stuff of, of all sorts of levels of interest and stuff. It's a real pleasure to be housed there when we do these short runs of live shows. Um, a couple of people have asked, there's not going to be any live com-coms from Edinburgh this year. I'm going to do some pre-records. I'm going to do some non-audience ones just in my house, if I can silence the Boutros long enough, um, or recording somewhere else in Edinburgh. In fact, if you're listening to this and know some recording studio premises in Edinburgh, why not give me a quick shout and we can have a chat about that. Thank you to everyone that's been getting in touch with me uh, with the uh, subject line Angels. Uh, if you run a small to medium level gig somewhere in the country and you would like to help me out with a secret project, which I stress is not just me wanting to book and <laughs> me wanting to book myself in and play your gig. It's not that. Um, but it's a, it's a little sort of secret underground railroad project that I've got on. So uh, if you'd like to get in touch with that, if you book your own gig, then if you don't book your gig, but you know of one near you, that's great. But really, I'm asking for specifically for promoters on this one. Um, and I've had a lot of responses to that. So thank you very much. Um, and I think that'll do for now. Yes. Thank you to Nathan Wood for uh, editing, producing this show. And that concludes the podcast. So I've got this recording for you just by way of the little post pod waffle. Um, we will Nathan will seamlessly stitch this together. And um, so here is the recording from me uh, that I recorded about an hour after I came off stage from recording an episode of Russell Howard's Stand Up Central. This is what I said shortly after the show. <laughs> Thank you.
So I'm backstage at that TV show that I uh, recorded uh, just, a, well, an hour ago from my perspective now, but this won't go out for a week or so. And uh, I, I mean, it was about an hour, maybe an hour and a half ago. So I didn't quite manage to do the thing of coming off and going, here are my immediate thoughts. So I will try to compose them uh, as well as I can. It went well. It went well. Um, <laughs> now, is there anything interesting I can say about it? Yeah, the audience were um, not as bubbly going in as I sort of expected them to be. They kind of get, kept getting up and moving around and stuff. It was a Friday night, so I guess they've been drinking since lunchtime, some of them. Met some incredibly nice wee boys outside <laughs> when I was trying to get into the venue. And I was here early because I'm a spod. And uh, I ended up going around the back of the venue and I was followed by four very sweet, quite posh, or no, posh is not fair. Very polite. Let's say very sweet, very polite, very young, kind of 15, 16 year old lads who I correctly guessed followed me around. They saw me knock at the window and get point someone in, inside pointed, oh, come around the back. So they were kind of hoping to get in early for the recording and they followed me around and was like, oh, you think? And when I said, um, uh, I'm actually, I don't know where you're supposed to be. I'm obviously one of the performers. They properly giggled and looked at each other and were like, oh man. And that was really nice because that made me remember that there's human beings. It's just... You know, you can get really het up about the idea of an audience or a crowd of like, you know, that expression I'm fond of saying in the mouth of the wolf when you're out there in, in Boca de Lupa. Um, you know, but it's, it's, it's just nice to remember it's not a wolf. It's individuals, it's individual people that, um, that could well be cute, polite, giggly boys. So uh, that, was, that was nice. And then uh, everyone inside has been very good. Everyone inside the building, you know, production team and everyone had a very uh, relaxing and funny uh, chat with lovely Bridget Christie while we were getting our makeup done. Fascinating insight into telly there. Um, but uh, we talked about how quickly children grow up. Um, a morsel there. A celebrity morsel. Myself and Fabulous Bridge talked about how quickly her children have grown up. And uh, I talked about the Boutros and showed off pictures of the Boutros to everyone and tried, you know, that thing. OK, so sometimes you get in a sort of a, I, I, I sometimes, I'll keep this personal, I sometimes pre-gig can be a bit overconfident. Like if I'm doing well, if I'm, you know, if I'm doing well in the green room sort of thing. And you've got to be careful to take a minute and go, no, no. Don't don't walk on there thinking, hey, easy, because that's when the the mouth of the wolf snaps shut. But um, so, it, but it was a lovely atmosphere. We were all having a giggle, and uh, Ed Gamble, Johnny Pelham, and Fern Brady were also around, uh, plus all the production people, and uh, and of course Russell. And I, everyone's had a great gig so far. Don't want to hex Fern and and uh, Gamble because they're on shortly, and I don't want to. Um, I'm going to run off and see them in a sec. And um, but it's it's been good. It's been good. It's a big old... It's weird doing seven minutes. They put a timer at the back of the room at my request. There's a big timer. There's a big clock. And I say, look, can we get that counting up from zero? Still overran by 40 seconds. Sorry, everyone. But um, I did practice beforehand. I, I downloaded an app. Uh, Ed Gamble said to me, I'm the only person who, upon saying this is a joke, would then go and do it. And he's absolutely right. I went and downloaded an app for my phone with a big timer on it so I could then practice in the dressing room doing my set in front of a big timer, like whilst staring into the face of a timer counting upwards, going, this is your seven minutes, Mac. Um, but yeah, I, I kind of ran the stuff a few times, which is ludicrous because it's it's all stuff from the tour show I'm currently doing. So I've done it about 50 times. Um, and uh, nonetheless, I think I managed to stay pretty focused, stay loose-ish. I could have been looser. I think to record seven minutes, I'd like to have had 10 minutes. Do you know what I mean? I'd like to have gone, oh, right, here's time to walk on and go, oh, it's if, if, they, if they could say, right, your first three minutes, we're not going to use. And then you just walk on and go, all oh, right, so it's a gig, it's a gig, guys. 
Um, it is just a gig, and I suppose I need to cultivate that feeling internally rather than have people change <laughs> a well-worn, time-honoured system that works for everyone else in order to accommodate me. But, um, man, it was good. It was good. That's all of that. I'm going to run off and see Fern and Gamble, and um, it's all good stuff. And I'm pleased to say that on the night, both uh, who, were, who hadn't been on, it was Fern uh, and Gamble. Everybody smashed it. Everybody smashed it. I think Bridget did so great. I think she was slightly in advance of some of her audience, but what a terrific set. And um, it was interesting. Me and Gamble were both doing stuff like kind of current stuff. And I think Johnny and Fern, because they were newer, were doing like their killer, this is who I am material. And I thought that was a really interesting difference to see. I mean, both, both, all the stuff worked. It was great. But um, there's something about that kind of like, here I am, and this is, this is who I am, and this is what I'm on about, that's so punchy. And I think if you remember back to that, that episode with uh, Hari Kondabolu, when we were talking about the requirements of Edinburgh having to constantly change things, it's odd. I didn't feel like I was up there doing a set that said, bang, this is my arrival set. It's just quite an interesting, different headspace to be in when I was like, OK, I'm five hours into my stand-up career, and, uh, you know, five solo hours and all the other you know, whatever, whatever you need to write in order to come up with those five hours, 20 hours. Um, so it was really interesting to go, right, I, I made the decision in the end to go with, I'm going to go with this bit that displays good writing, and I'm going to go with this bit that is arguably a bit clubby, but is really super punchy. And now, thanks to uh, the lovely uh, producer of that show, Jason, I am, we're in consultation as to which bit we use, because I tried to offer a lot, and now we've got to decide which bit to go for. So I suppose the, the conclusion of this post-gig debrief is just is just that it's uh, i i really hate being given <laughs> creative control turns out all these podcasts later i hate being given creative control and would love all my decisions to be made for me so i could get on with dandling the boutros um what do you do you go what is the value of doing stuff on tv that's the question i think that's quite interesting i've been reflecting on that a lot this week what I'm not the value. Obviously, there's it's brilliant to do. It's great for profile. You get a TV credit. You get a bit of money. That's great. But what is the longevity value? Once something's been on TV, I think of it I, without even noticing that how my thinking has changed on this. I've I've absolutely been configuring this around the idea of watching the stuff on YouTube in five years or in ten years' time. And so you've got to think about virality. You've got to think about, right, what could... I've got a story about being heckled by someone. That's one of the bits I did on the show. And if we choose that bit, then that kind of lends itself to virality. I think that's, you know, that's one of those ones you could sort of title it and go, bang, wallop. If I even... Who owns the stuff? How does that work? How does the stuff end up on YouTube? I mean, it seems like every bit of stand-up released on TV gets taped and then uploaded to YouTube. So I'm just wondering... I'm trying to make decisions based on what I'm anticipating from something lasting for a lot longer than necessarily one showing on TV. I just thought it was quite interesting. So that's still, I haven't quite finished that decision yet. I hope to have done that by the end of today. And it's brilliant to be working with someone that bothers asking and says, how is here? A far cry indeed from my earlier televised exploits circa 2010. So that will do for now. I don't want to go into too much detail tours going great do come and see that solo one man that'd be so great if it was full it was really really electrifying to go with Romesh we've got the right for this for the episode for the live record it's just the right combination of a great guest he's you know he is absolutely just exploding profile wise now um and also 
there are we'd put it in the brochure far enough in advance there'd been enough lead in time we've been selling well and selling well and selling well and then bang sold out so if we can achieve that same effect with the uh, the soho tour shows that i'm doing the solo stand-up then uh, i'd be really grateful indeed how exciting thanks to everyone that's come along to see the tour really appreciate it and thanks for letting me try out some new stuff on you as well those that have um that will do for now next week seymour mace or or who else is in the can who have I just done? Or Abigailiah. I did a, a month ago. So in the next two weeks, Seymour Mace, Abigailiah Shaman. And then, very pleased to report, uh, Mr. Russell Howard himself is going to come on the show in a couple of weeks. So if you want to join the Facebook Comedians Comedian group, uh, the secret, not secret, private group, um, then once you're in that, you can suggest some questions and I will try and uh, read them out and credit them where appropriate. That'll do for now. Thanks very much for listening. I'll speak to you next week. Mm-hmm.